Hello again. Welcome to episode four of the Republic of Football. I am your host, David Ubbin. We're on site for this episode. I am here at the Star in Frisco with Shehan Jayaraja with Diehards. Did I do that right? You did. Now listen, I've lived 30 years as David Ubbin. However, about 70% of people just go with Ubin. Is there a particular favorite butchering in your lifetime? Because I feel like I'm in the JV of name butchering. You've got to be, like, next level. Is there a favorite? You, <laughs> it's funny that you asked that. My favorite was always when they went Jayaraha, because it means that they thought that the first half of my name was American, and the second half was Hispanic somehow, because apparently you would pronounce the first one, but not the second one. I just don't see the logic there. That's my issue. Okay. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. Well, we were here to see Texas Tech. Uh, Shanghai covers the Big 12 for diehards.com, a Cox Media joint. Uh, I'll, I'll get to mine later. What did you take away from what you saw today? A couple hours of Tech throwing it around, Cliff jumping around. A lot of energy early, not as much late. But what did you take away from, from what we saw from Tech, this, this version of Tech? Yeah, well, I think that we can see that the offense is still a work in progress. I mean, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but there really weren't many standouts at receiver. Um, the quarterbacks, you know, they were a little inconsistent. I think that Jet Duffy proved that he has a good arm. I think Alan Bowman has a really good arm, but he clearly doesn't totally know the offense quite as yet. Uh, McLean Carter was the experienced one, but he still, you know, looks a little shaky throwing the ball. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of questions on this offense. The defense looked pretty good, but you can't take too much away from the spring game with how vanilla they play it. Uh, but the offense is definitely a work in progress. Um, I do think they're going to run the ball a little bit more next year because they did have some confidence in their running backs. Uh, but the passing game is definitely still a big work in progress. Yeah, I think you know it was interesting today that Cliff straight up said, like, this quarterback competition is going to go into preseason camp. He said fall camp. I refuse to call it fall camp. It's 110 <laughs> degrees. Um, But, yeah, he said, you know, this is a a competition that's going to go into the preseason camp. It's probably going to be a game week. And he said, this is whenever we roll out there for our first snap, that's going to be the guy. You know, he said he wants a quarterback that every time he takes the field, that that everyone on this team knows he's the guy. Get behind him. He's going to take us there. And I'm not sure that Tech has that just yet. Maybe they do. I think certainly of this group, Jet Duffy has the highest upside uh, back from a suspension from a criminal criminal mischief incident uh, a couple weeks back. Uh, a couple of things. You're right about the receivers. You know, you look around. I thought Quan Shorts had a pretty decent day. Uh, TJ Vasher had a drop on a slant that I think may have given Cliff a heart attack. But... Made some nice plays. He's obviously uh, a big body, a big target, and that can really help, uh, I think, some of your younger quarterback guys that maybe aren't as accurate. I think we did see today Duffy, Carter, all those guys. Accuracy is not going to be a strong point. (laughs) Baker Mayfield, Pat Mahomes, those guys are not walking through that door. But I think they've got guys that they can be uh, functional with. And I think, too, Dalen Ward, a special running back, I think, a guy with uh, another guy, a ton of upside. You look at his vision. He doesn't, you know, the speed and shiftiness is a rare combination for him. He doesn't necessarily lack power. I just think he doesn't really have a power. I wouldn't call that an asset of his. Um, But he can play. Uh, For you, what did you take away from, uh, you know, Tech's in such a weird spot where their defense might be uh, their strength? And this is the sort of opposite of what we've seen from this program for 20-some years. Anybody stand out to you defensively from what you saw today? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, Texas Tech did a pretty good job on defense of batting a couple of balls, of getting in their faces. I mean, I think that Jet Duffy's second pass was batted down, nearly intercepted. Um, You know, they really are pretty disruptive, even in a vanilla package. Uh, I think their defensive backs did a pretty good job of sticking with their receivers and really did make them look normal on many occasions. And I do think part of that was defensive back play being pretty good. Um, You know, Dakota Allen obviously is still a star, still one of the you know best linebackers returning in the Big 12. Uh, but yeah, I really was pretty impressed with the defensive line. Just, you know, not necessarily getting sacks, but just getting pressure, making them a little uncomfortable. And McLean Carter and Jet Duffy can both move a little bit. Uh, and they really had to quite a bit uh, during this, this spring game. They really did have to move around, make some throws on the run. And I think that was a big part of why, you know, especially Carter, I think, didn't handle the pressure very well. And when he was pressured, he was much less accurate. 
Um, you know, they bring back so much on defense in really every phase of the defense, and I think that that's sort of bore out during the scrimmage, and I think it'll bore out even more during the season. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that. Uh, I, I think uh, Thomas Leggett has an, had a nice day, a uh, guy they brought in from Juco, a defensive back, his second year on campus. Uh, Ward, we mentioned, got a little dinged up today. Yeah. Uh, he sat. He, he had a couple nice runs early. Uh, tweaked his groin. Cliff sat him for precautionary measures. Nothing to really be concerned about there. The same with Jack Anderson. Who? There. Uh, uh, when was the last time the best offensive player at Texas Tech was a guard? Because <laughs> I think Jack Anderson might qualify. It, maybe Quan Shorts becomes that guy later. Maybe Jed Duffy's a star. But as of right now, where we're sitting today, it really might be Jack Anderson. We didn't get to see much of him today. Uh, Vasher made up for his his. Uh, uh, drop caught a touchdown on the screen later. What do you make of Tech coming into this year? I I don't see them being that much different than last year. I think we're going to get to November, and they're probably going to be sweating out a bowl game. I think there's a few teams in the Big Twelve that'll be there. I think this team is. I don't see a ton of upside with this team. I mean, you saw today. There's a lot of p- pretty good players on this team, but guys just jump off the page when they are truly special players. I think about when I went to TCU uh, earlier this spring and seeing Jalen Rager just you you don't have to do you don't have to know anything about football to walk on to a field and see wow, that guy is special. Same with Kevontae Turpin. What do you make of how good this Texas Tech team can be going into 2018? Yeah, well, I do think they're going to be similar to last year. Uh, you know, I think they have more defensive upside than they did the year previous, um, just with all the experience they have coming back. But offensively, they just lose so much talent on the outside. They obviously lose Kiki Cutie, Dylan Cantrell, players like that. You know, players who have been here for a long time and been very successful for Texas Tech. And right now, they don't have guys. They don't have guys out there that I feel like you can trust. I mean, you know, like you said, TJ Vasher did make up for that uh, for that drop with a nice touchdown. But he didn't look like a first receiver out there. He doesn't look like a number one guy right this minute. Yeah, obviously, he looks like a guy that you can throw it up to sometimes, and he's a nice like second or third weapon. But if he's your top guy, he's got to grow. Yeah. Right, absolutely. And that doesn't mean that he can't get there by the time that September rolls around, but he certainly is not there right now in April. Um, you know, and I think that the quarterback situation is a little bit better. But I think that the thing that's going to help Texas Tech a lot is the Big 12 is going to be you know, probably a little bit worse than it was last year. Just with Baker Mayfield leaving, you know, Oklahoma State's probably going to take a pretty big step back without Mason Rudolph and James Washington. Um, you know, so the league's just a little bit weaker than last year. So while Texas Tech might be close to the same level, if maybe a small step forward, if Jet Duffy really is that good, um, I think that the fact that they're going to be playing against perhaps weaker competition in this upcoming Big 12, I think that's going to help them. Um, you know, we're going to learn a lot about this team very early on. Obviously, they play Ole Miss during their first game of the season, and Ole Miss is a little bit of a mess right now, but it's still very talented. Yeah, it's not an FCS game. You'll learn a little bit about yourself in that. Regardless of if you're playing Power 5 competition, you kind of know what you got after the first week if you're playing that game, yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, you go into that game against Ole Miss, and if they play well against them, I think that means something. I think it means that maybe we can increase the ceiling of the team a little bit. I mean, again, Ole Miss, like we said, isn't going to be any sort of world beater next year, but just a little bit better than maybe we think they are if Jet Duffy plays well against some pretty good defensive linemen, against some pretty good linebackers. You know, that that helps, and, you know, they play Houston, too. Uh, it's a tough non-conference slate. I think we'll learn a lot about that team uh, heading forward, but again, they really do just need to get a little bit better on offense. And now the one thing is, you know, this is the first year, uh, really, under Cliff Kingsbury total, where, hey, maybe the defense is going to be pretty good, and you just have to trust in finding an offense. And I trust Cliff Kingsbury a whole lot more to find an offense than I do a defense. Yeah, I mean, you look at... I think that's the thing, is you could throw Cliff Kingsbury on any team. And I I just have a lot of trust in him as an offensive schemer. Like, I don't think this is going to be a next-level defense, but if you have a bunch of functional guys, Cliff and his system are going to make them an above-average defense. I think that is the floor. Uh, We've seen them obviously take it to the next level, and defensively their struggles have been well chronicled. But Texas Tech can be able to move the ball this year. They're going to score some points this year. Maybe they don't average 45 a game, but they're not going to be in the 20s. They're just not. And sure, that's not the best measure because part of that is they're going to be running you know, 90 to 100 plays a lot of games, but 
they're going to be moving the ball this year, regardless. Uh, you know, even if he knows, you know, can I trust Jet Duffy's accuracy? Can I trust McLean Carter's accuracy? Okay, let's hit some more screens. Let's hit some more simple throws. Let's get them in a rhythm. And I think that's part of it today, too. He was shuffling quarterbacks in a lot, and he mentioned that. You know, it's tough to get any of those guys really feeling it, really feeling themselves if they're here. Here's a series. Here's a half a series. Now go stand on the bench for ten minutes. That, that's I'm I'm sensitive to that. I don't think we saw the best version of any of those guys today. You know, even we we were we were laughing about it. You know, they had a couple of Make a Wish guys uh, did some some um, really special moments tonight uh, for. Uh, those guys here in Frisco, uh, but you know they had one of the kids who they want to hit him on the deep post. I didn't post it on Twitter. I posted the video, but I did not post the two balls that Jet Duffy airmailed <laughs> <laughs> over the poor kid. Neither here nor there. But I, I think it highlights an issue that I, I think he's he's you know every ball is not going to be there. Can he grow and get better? I think obviously you look at the way that Cliff has developed quarterbacks. What we saw today is probably. You know, all these guys are going to be better in the fall. Uh, I really do feel that. Uh, but they've got a long ways to go. And so we'll see. We will see. Uh, so moving on, John, you are an Atlanta resident. I am. Now, here's, here's what I've learned about the kids who grew up in suburban Dallas. You're a Coppell man. Yes. I, I've learned that the kids who grew up in the suburbs have no sense of Dallas as a food scene. <laughs> Would you agree this has been your experience and do you categorize yourself in this group, or do you know what's going on around here? Oh, I, I absolutely categorize myself in that group because oh, no. the issue is right. I mean, when you're in Coppell, you can go to Louisville, you can go to so much Applebee's. You know, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not an Applebee's family. Let's be fair, but we're Cheddar's family. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's just so much sort of stuff in the area that's you know maybe pseudo chains, not necessarily sure. you know Applebee's, not necessarily whatever, not Olive Garden or something, but you know, sort of the places that there's a couple of in the area. And so you just don't end up leaving very much. So when you are back in town, do you have a go-to place, or do you, are you hitting are you hitting a Coppell dive? Where, where's your Where's the spot that when you're getting on the plane in Atlanta, you're saying you, you know you're licking your lips, thinking this is where I'm going to eat this weekend? Is there a place like that for you? <laughs> well, uh, I got to tell you, it's Whataburger. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> I know that that's cheating. I I'm not a Whataburger cheating. guy. Oh come on, I'm sorry, David. But it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> All of the regional chains, we've had, we've had arguments about this in our office, all of the regional chains, in and out Five Guys, the ones that people get frothing at the mouth for in anger on the internet, they're a little overhyped to me. But <laughs> I can get behind Whataburger. You can't get in Atlanta, yeah. you grew up around it, okay. Yeah, and, and it's cultural, right? You sure. know, I mean, there, there was the Whataburger down in Coppell, you know, we'd go there after football games, all that sort of stuff, right? So it, it's more than it being just a good restaurant, because you're right, I mean, it's pretty good, but it's not changing the world or anything like that. I have a Whataburger question for you. What's up? This infuriates my wife <laughs> every single time she sees it. The Whataburger ad where the guy is in the airport and he has a Whataburger. I forget the exact scenario. He has a Whataburger and they, something happens where I think he essentially he misses his flight. He chooses to miss his flight in favor of the Whataburger. My wife says there is no way this is true. <laughs> that this is made up for this ad. Would, what are, do you buy into this concept that someone would miss a flight for a Whataburger. And would you miss your flight home to eat a Whataburger? No. Okay. No. I uh, mean, Whataburger's really good. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm i not changing my travel plans for one. Let's be clear. I uh, would hope not. No. I mean, you know what? Sometimes you have to be a little bit careful if you eat it too late at night because, you know what? You feel it in the morning. You know, I, I'm not changing my life around to eat Whataburger. But you know what? If it is if it is 2 a.m., you've been studying all night long. You know, I went to school in Baylor, of course. You know, there's a Whataburger right across the street. It's open 24 hours. And you know what? If it's 2.30 a.m. and I just need something to eat, that's where I'm going. Low-key Whataburger complaint, slowest drive-thru oh. on the planet. Oh, horrible. It is horrible. horrendous. <laughs> I, I, it, it's, I feel like the later it is, the longer you're going to be in the line. It's like the anti-Chick-fil-A. I feel like if you can't cut it at Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, I feel like they, they've got to push the people to Whataburger as a sort of pseudo-sabotage. That's, that's my personal fast food conspiracy theory. But <laughs> we will touch on Baylor. Uh, before we get to this year's Baylor team, which I know you'll be watching, RG3 oh, man. has made his triumphant return after 13 months away. Like yourself, I thought it might have been a parody account that the Ravens of Baltimore 
signed Mr. Robert Griffin III. Uh, as a Baylor man who was, uh, you were there while he was there, right? Came the year after the that. The year after that, okay. But you're aware of him. Yes. What did you make of Robert Griffin making his return? And what do you expect in this comeback, we'll call it? Well, I thought the timing was very strange. Just because, you know, April, it's, the, yeah, it's March, April. This isn't really a time when anything's going on in the NFL. RG3 is still going to probably be available come August, uh, you know, when camp comes around. But you know what? There's one thing that I do feel good about. This is the first time that Robert Griffin III will ever play for an NFL team that is halfway competent, uh, that does not actively try to sabotage its starting quarterbacks. Uh, He will not end up on a jersey where, you know, he's the 24th name of starting quarterbacks since 1999 or whatever. Uh, So, you know, you're going into a system with John Harbaugh where you do feel pretty good. Now, of course, the big issue with RG3 isn't necessarily that he's not good at football. It's whether he can stay healthy, and we still don't know that. If you have a backup quarterback, though, you have pretty good odds of staying healthy. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. hey, you know, it's As long as you don't have a clipboard incident on the sidelines and you can walk, and you'll be okay. You'll be okay, hopefully. Hey, and we were saying out here, you know, here at Texas Tech Spring Game, you know, Michael Crabtree was out here, of course. That would be a heck of a Big 12 connection if Robert Griffin III takes over his starting quarterback and is throwing to Michael Crabtree. It's true. Funny Crabtree story. The Texas Tech people had no idea that Michael Crabtree was going to show up to their scrimmage today. None. Literally, they, uh, one, of the, one of the Texas Tech uh, SIDs was at, somebody came up to him and said, hey, hey, can we, can we get a pass for, for Michael Crabtree to get down on the field? I think Michael Crabtree's pass to get down on the field for a Texas Tech scrimmage is being Michael Crabtree. I think it, just it should be. <laughs> it should be, indeed. And uh, Adrian Waddle also was down here with his uh, garish Super Bowl ring with the Patriots. Humongous. He's got huge crazy. hands. And it was unbelievable. Gigantic stuff. I've only seen a handful of Super Bowl rings in person. It's got to be up there. Oh, I haven't done my Super Bowl huge. ring research, but that thing, I, I, it's just impractical is what it is. The oh, early yeah. rings were more practical. Yeah, what, what do you do with that? I mean, how do you even keep that in your house? It's a good question. It's a good question. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I've never won a Super Bowl. Some people might find that hard to believe, but it just—it never happened. You know, there there was not a whole big market for uh, for five ten wide receivers who were slow and South Asian. Yeah, well, one day, (laughs) one day, one day. Uh, So you obviously paying attention to Baylor. You covered the Big Twelve. Baylor, I think, was an interesting team. I've said it several times. I'll say it again: the greatest one on eleven team in the history of college football. I can't argue (laughs) it. It's where I think the the easiest thing. Uh, I think the thing that's working in Matt Rule's favor is that last year they were a four-win team masquerading as a one-win team. And so this team is going to be improved. I don't think you can be much worse. Uh, but if they win five games and just miss a bowl, if they go four and eight last year, that doesn't feel like he's growing the program as much. But when you start at the foundation of the foundation below the foundation – at one and eleven, after what Baylor, what we've seen from them, you know, on the field uh, over the last decade with Art Bryles, it feels like if they go five and seven, that's going to be a gigantic leap. We will see. Where do you think we're going to see the most growth in Baylor as we look forward to twenty eighteen and we see they can't be worse? Where do you think we're going to notice their growth the most? I think it has to be the offensive line. And and really, if it's not the offensive line, I don't think we'll see as much growth as we think we should. Uh, last year, it wasn't necessarily that the players were bad, because two years ago, many of them were still starting and weren't as bad. But Matt Rule runs a more NFL-style offensive line scheme, blocking schemes, all of that, uh, and the players were just not prepared for it. Um, you know, And you saw in some instances that Matt Rule did bench some players who were a little more experienced to try to bring in guys who were a little leaner, who could move a little better. Because you know, under Art Bryles, Baylor really had a lot of maulers. They had some huge guys who would just push, and that was kind of what they were asked to do. Because, of course, you know, under Art Bryles, almost every single play was you know, a, a read. And, and so you, you not even the offensive line necessarily knew what was going on every single play. Now, obviously, you're running more of an NFL-style scheme. Um, and that's a tough adjustment, first of all, and they don't have necessarily the athletes to pull it off on the offensive line. Well, this year they might. Um, you know, they bring back uh, four of the five offensive line starters, 
and a couple of them probably won't end up starting. You have Jake Frew Morgan, who transferred from Clemson. He's probably going to start at left tackle. I'm still waiting for the first negative thing to hear about him. Everybody seems to love him. Yeah, and you know he was starting at right tackle at Clemson through their first national title game run, yeah. uh, you know, and would have started last year if he didn't get hurt. And so. You know, you have a guy who was able to sit out, get better for a redshirt year. Now he's going to step in, start probably at left tackle. Um, at left guard, you're going to have John Carlo Valentine, who was a former Oklahoma signee, ended up going to the junior college route. Uh, and now he's back. He's very athletic for how huge he is. I think we call that the reverse Parrish Cobb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's... That's a whole other story. But, <laughs> but so, you know, he's going to be coming in there at left guard. The entire left side of the offensive line is going to look very different. And then on top of that, you know, Blake Blackmore is back. He's going to be a little more improved. Uh, you know, Patrick Lawrence is back. And, and you have options with guys who either were red shirts last year or who, you know, even in the case of Xavier Newman and Ryan Miller, they played as freshmen, but they just weren't necessarily ready. So I think you're going to see a lot of improvement on that front because, you know, you watched Baylor last year. One, they allowed the most sacks in the Big 12, more than Kansas, um, despite having some, you know, relatively mobile quarterbacks. Uh, they couldn't run the ball at all. They averaged like 3.1 yards per carry, even though they had Terrence Williams and Jamichael Hasty, who we'd all agree are pretty good. Yeah, both good players. Exactly. And so now all of a sudden, if you come in and you just have a little bit more help up front, then everything just works a little better. I think the one thing that's going to be difficult for them, the only thing that I think is a struggle, is... You know, the Big 12 looks like it's going to be a league that has eight eight win teams in it this year. Yeah. Uh, I, the only rebuild that I've sort of been around to watch or have paid, you know, a ton of attention to, or I think back in the old Big 12 North, when Mizzou was growing under Gary Pinkle, you know, there were a lot of really bad teams in the Big 12 North, and that you could collect some wins and you could be just okay and you could be a six win team. Baylor, you know, you look around. Other than Kansas, like you've got to play well to beat everyone. And Baylor is playing a tougher non-conference schedule. I mean, with the Big 12 requiring all of its members to play Power Five opponents, that makes it a little bit tougher. Uh, and so it's an it's an interesting balance. And and if you're going to build and you're going to get to a bowl and you're building from scratch like you did at Baylor with a, a completely uh, you know decimated roster uh, post Art Bryles, it's it you, you really have done something. There's no you know I think. You know, not to use Mizzou as another example, but last year, you know, them running off five wins at the end of the season, they beat a bunch of teams that had fired their coaches and were going to be sitting around for the holidays. You can't really do that in the Big 12. There's so much depth. And I think this year, you know, the Big 12 is going to be devoid of an elite team, uh, unless Kyle Murray is a superstar. But there's just going to be so many good teams. We've seen that a lot in the Big 12. And, and I think that's, if you're trying to build a program, that I think is an underrated hurdle. A thing that Matt Rule has to get over is just how good the rest of the league is. Even if there's not a great team, like you got to be really good to win consistently in the Big 12. That's well, why nobody does it. Right. Well, and you know, I think that we saw that last season. You know, I mean, Baylor goes 1-11. They played the one team that they should beat on their schedule, Kansas, beat them by 29 points. Yeah. And and that's the thing. You know, Baylor was not Kansas last season. They both finished 1-11, but this was not, sorry to Kansas, but, you know, a non-Power 5 roster that yeah, they were playing you look with. Yeah, you look at Baylor. They're in a hole. It's not a very deep hole. It could right. get deeper if you right. make a bad hire. I don't think Matt Rule's a bad hire. No. I think he's a very good hire. But they're at a tenuous. I think they kind of remind me of where Kansas was right after Mark Mangino. Right. Of like, this could go bad, but you hire a guy who you know has run a program before, has clearly you know sort of a, a game plan for what he wants to do. They brought in a lot of Texas guys. That's really helped him. Uh, there, it's not a deep hole. I think right. they can get out. I think this year you can really start to see them progress to getting closer to where they were. I don't know that Matt Rule, I don't know that I can see him winning back-to-back Big 12 titles at Baylor, uh, but I think certainly he can get them back to being respectable, and that might start this year. Right. Well, and I think that you saw, you know, with the previous administration, they kind of were able to take advantage of a Big 12 that was pretty good across, but didn't necessarily have a ton of standouts. Whereas, you know, if you're a middling team, or if you're a lower middling team, Having all these balanced teams, you know, it makes you look good if you're, you know, going 11 and 1 and beating all these teams because you're just clearly better than them. But if you're one of those middling teams to lower middling teams, all of a sudden, like you said, because Baylor starts the year, they have their three non con games, uh, and Duke is one of them, and that's by no means a gimme. Yeah. Um, and then they have Kansas the first week of the Big 12 season, and then it's just eight straight games that they probably are going to be projected to lose. 
that's just a tough position to be in. It is, and I think we'll see. If you can make some noise early on, you might not be projected to those games anymore. But yeah. we'll see. Yeah, and, and they it, have the talent, you know, and, and Charlie Brewer, you know, I think that he's really good at quarterback. He completed nearly 70% of his passes when he started starting games. I mean, they have talent there. They have guys coming in who are going to help right away. So the pieces are there to have that sort of step. Um, but again, you know, this is a fan base that in a very short amount of time became accustomed to winning some games. And, you know, it's going to be a little slower than that. I agree. It's going to be, we'll see how it plays out. Well, that's it for that. We'll, I'll get into our guest this week. Uh, Houston coach Major Applewhite has joined the program. Uh, it's been, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I didn't have a ton of uh, interaction with Major before uh, we sat down for this interview, but he was—he was really, you know, a, an interesting guy. He talked a lot about his year away from football and sort of resetting as a man. Uh, he defended his hiring of Kendall Bryles um, as more in depth than I than I have heard uh, elsewhere. I, I, it was very interesting to hear him sort of tell his side of, you know, how they vetted him and what the university did to bring Kendall Bryles aboard uh, amid obviously a lot of criticism that I think he knew was coming and. I think he's prepared for. Um, we'll see how that plays out. I expect it will play out well uh, on the field for sure. Uh, so anyway, uh, enjoy this conversation, and we will close this out when Major is finished. For you, I mean, there's been so many great coaches that have come through here, from you know Art to Kevin um, to obviously Tom. How would you describe what it was like for you to take over this program um, that has had such a great tradition you know, over the last you know, decade or so, and then obviously in the past? What, what was that like for you? Well, it's just a, a tremendous honor. I mean, I've always felt like Houston's a great football program, has a great winning tradition. I grew up four hours from here, um, watched them come and compete against LSU and Tiger Stadium and almost beat them and uh, grew up reading the newspapers and watching, you know, Houston score 90 and 80 points and uh, quarterbacks throwing 11 touchdowns in a game. So I've always had a tremendous respect for the program. And then you cross the Sabine, you come over here and you start playing in Austin and, you know, you're wondering why you don't play them. You know, and you just kind of ask the question, why don't we play Houston? You know, we play Rice. Well, well, here's why we don't play Houston. Oh, they're dangerous. I got it. <laughs> you know, so you, you just you, you create a level of respect for the program. And then and then you see some of the successes, the the conference championship. Uh, we didn't win it with Kevin, but we won it with Art. Uh, and then, you know, I was here when we won it with Tom. And, you know, you always have a chance to be in it, <clears throat> you know, with the right kind of kids and the right kind of coaches to recruit here. You always have a chance to be in it. So it's a, it was a great honor to be named head coach and. Uh, looking forward to year two and, and, and building this thing the right way and winning games. What do you feel like is the the, the, the things you have to focus on to get to where you want to be uh, in terms of improvement better than year one? Well, recruiting. You know, I, I felt like we, we inherited a really fast car in 2015. There were a lot of great players on that roster. I mean, there were two guys off the bat that were going to be first-round picks and Tyus Bowser and, and Will Jackson. And truth be told, if Howard Wilson, the guy who was on that team, if he's you know, he played here in 16-2. If he comes back another year, instead of being drafted in third or fourth round, he may go even higher. So you got a bunch of great players and, uh, you know, capitalized on a brother and a high school coach. And you get a great player like Ed. And, um, you know, and you get some great players in here. So that, that, that the key is continuing to get great players and, and recruit. Uh, you know, I, 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 we love ourselves as coaches, but you got to have great players. I want to ask about you, you personally. When you 2015, you were on a staff. You're 36. What was that year like for you? In 14. Or 14. Sorry. 14. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. You know, looking back on it, I mean, and, and even at the time, it's still it's still the same time period. I mean, you know, it was so fast from from 2003 when I was a GA. You're a GA in 05. You're all of a sudden you're you know you're full time Big East school, BCS school at that time, and you know you're a quarterback coach. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that have a hell of a lot harder getting that position, but I worked for the right guy at the right time and, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, and then went to Rice and was a coordinator in year two and then in Alabama in year three. And then you go back home to Texas and you're, you're working with people that you're comfortable with, you know, and, 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 you, and you have a good run there, but, but you go really, really fast. Like uh, from 26 to 35 was really fast, you know, professionally. And, you get time to reflect and see where you are as a professional, see where you are as a dad, a husband, all those things. And, um, you know, there have been things earlier that had refocused me from a family standpoint, but you, you get a chance when you get back into it as a coach and you say, all right, this is how 
now I'm with, with child, with wife. I'm, I'm not, you know, newly married and, and chasing this coaching thing. There's, there's a marriage that's been going on for a long time. There's a, there's a child involved. There's a balance that has to be there. And uh, I'm going to keep that. That's, that's the most important thing in my life. So I want to keep that and uh, just refocus me. It helped me. It helped me deal with young men better. And it just gets better and better the, the, the more, you know, the older my kids get, you know, the more you understand a little bit, you have some patience and some things. But that, that year was, was great from, from that standpoint. Uh, just to slow down and not let football be at the center of everything. And, uh, you know, take your child to, to school. Uh, go to all the practices that you missed because you were practicing yourself. You know, and, you know, go to events that, you know, during the football season that happened on Friday night or Saturday morning where you were in a hotel. I mean, it was, you know, you felt felt like a human being again. You know, you had a family and you were doing real things. So it was great. You know, and my wife does an outstanding job of helping me still do that even now that I'm back in it. What do you feel like, how do you feel like you developed, you know, as a person? What did you sort of learn about yourself in that time? Um, just to focus more on the player. You know, focus more on the player. You know, you 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 want these plays to work so well, and and you want to score and you want to win, and you're very competitive. But you know, instead of maybe going from a football first standpoint, go the other direction. You know, and just just hang out, get to know the guys, get to know your players, develop a relationship with them. I mean, it, it's it's no different than pickup basketball. I mean, you got to find four other guys that want to go out on the court and and go with you and, and hold court and just keep holding court. And the only way you do that is, you know, you just you have a bond, you have a relationship. So that was a bigger focus coming back into it. And then being on Herman's staff, that was a big part of, of what we did, you know, coming in with that team. So that's, that was kind of a point to refocus on. Is it true you spent some time on Tom's couch in, in Columbus, taking, taking yeah. a look and what was yeah. that? What was that like for you? Well, the, you know, I was, you know, some guys who had done this before, you know, there's a lot of guys that do that in the business. They'll, they'll be on contract, and they said, you know, you need to find some places in the spring. You're going to get stir-crazy by about March or April. So I went out and did that. And then uh, and then in May and June, uh, you know, was starting to kind of feel it again. And then I called Tom at the end of June and said, listen, you know, I know fall camp is going to be weird in August. And, you know, would Urban have a problem? He said, no, come up. You know, and uh, I didn't want to bother him. You know, so I had a hotel room, and he was like, no stop that's ridiculous like come over to the house and i was like oh, man you're getting ready to go into two days and i don't want to do that and you know he, he i think he needed a break after a you know 14 hour day he needed you know an hour of decompression too so went up there for i don't know three four or five days something like that and uh you know got a chance to learn from tom and and then be around urban meyer for four days or something like that and it was it was a really good visit what are your what were saturdays in the fall like for you that year uh, it was, it was, there were some weird, you know, you know, you're driving around just doing things on Saturday morning. You know, I went and saw some games. I went to a Texas game. I went to a LSU Mississippi state game. Um, went and saw some college games. Uh, but a lot of my Saturdays were, you know, with my daughter, you know, doing whatever, you know, soccer or whatever she was doing at that time, dance. I can't remember what it was exactly, but, <laughs> but there were some moments, you know, especially like home games in Austin, you know, you're like, taking your daughter to a softball game or picking her up or getting her car washed and you're just like, this is weird. Like, you know, there's a game in five hours, you know, and it's, you just kind of felt like the town was standing still, you know, and everybody was in anticipation for this game and you just weren't a part of it. And that was, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't hard, you know, it was just different, you know, and, um, and you just, you refocused on the, the family part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, what is it like, uh, you mentioned your, your career and, and it was fast. What, what, what was it like being so young and being a coordinator for Nick Saban? How would you describe that experience? Oh, I mean, it was just, it's like going to the major leagues. I mean, it was like learning. I mean, it was, it was a tremendous learning uh, curve for a young coach at 26, 27, whatever it was. I think it was 27. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're learning from the best, in my opinion. You know, and uh, you know, in, in every area, off season recruiting, um, you know, actual X's and O's. It's not really a weakness in the program. <laughs> yeah. No, no, and and you know, and that place is conducive to, you know, creating an atmosphere where you're going to breed championships in that state. I mean, that 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 football community as a whole works really hard to get players to, to go to Alabama. Um, but he, uh, it was just a tremendous learning experience, and 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 not only just him, but, but yes, him, but. 
there were so many other coaches on that staff. Um, you know, Kevin Steele, Joe Pendry, Kirby Smart, you know, uh, a lot of Burton Burns, a lot of great coaches that I learned from those guys as well, you know. Mm-hmm. What, uh, you know, when you decided you wanted to make a change at OC here, what was that process like for you in the offseason? Well, um, you know, it, it, to me it was like, all right, what, you know, identify what, what, what do you want? You know, what's the vision for what you want? Not just style of offense, but day-to-day operations. What do you want um, in terms of your offensive coordinator, your offensive, uh, you know, philosophy? What do you want? And looking at it, I just the, the offenses that I've been around or witnessed or just even dipped my toe in, there's been, you know, great continuity with the offensive line coach and the, and the quarterback coach. And, um, you know, that was the first thing. That, that I wanted to make sure we had. I feel like the run game and the passing game, they have to, you know, work together. And, and, and those guys, whoever those guys are, they have to have a relationship with one another, and it's best if they've worked together uh, to create that. And I noticed that with Mac McWhorter and Greg Davis when I was at Texas. I noticed that uh, when we had a great year at Rice, you know, just the, the, the continuity that we had. And I noticed that when I went up and saw Coach Warner uh, and, and, and Coach Herman at, at Ohio State, and I, I could – so I wanted to create that continuity in the room. Um, I wanted to play with pace. I wanted to still be spread because that is what we're going to recruit in this area. Still wanted to be able to spread, but I wanted to be able to run the ball. I don't. I don't want to throw it 65 times a game if we don't have to. Um, so I wanted to find guys that had ran an up tempo, um, spread offense where they were still, you know, creative in the run game. Um, they could be creative with personnel. Um, and, and had ties and understood how to recruit the state, you know? And so there's a, there's a lot of criteria there that I had that there, there's a small group of people that fit that bill. And, you know, that's what I felt like was, was best for our offense, best for our players. Um, you know, I've watched those two guys put together an offense that run the ball for 480 yards without starting quarterback. So I, I like the innovativeness, you know, the flexibility, um, you know, and, and just, the set of eyes, you know, it's just, it's a fresh set of eyes that, that also see it the same way and they can finish each other's sentences. You know, that you see, you wanted the spread. It's pretty interesting. I, I think it, uh, you know, when Gary Patterson switched to the spread, uh, what, before 2014, you know, he said one of the reasons was it was hurting them on the recruiting trail. They're running more of a pro style and, and kids didn't really want to play in that. Do you think it's possible to recruit at an elite level in this state and not on the offensive side of the ball and not, have a spread concept that you're recruiting to? Depends on how good you are. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, if you're playing for the national championship every year, kids will come and play for any kind of offense. You know, you run triple option, they'll come show up. But, but um, you know, it, it, if you're not dominating a league, you know, but I think people are seeing that, you know, that's the way you're going to have to move the football to score the amount of points you've got to score in college football. Um, there's probably a more dyed in the wool, two back, downhill power ISO guy than, than Coach Saban. He's a, he's a Big Ten guy. But look at his offense and look who's playing quarterback for him now. You know, so there's a lot of people that have moved that direction. And, you know, it is. There's an entertainment value to it for your fans, but, but there's a huge recruiting aspect to it. Mm-hmm. What was, what was you know, obviously you bringing Kendall aboard has brought some criticism. What was the reaction from your bosses when you put that in front of them and said, okay, this is who we want to hire? What was their sort of reaction? Uh, just very professional. I mean, there, it wasn't, uh, it was, let's look at this from all angles. Let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's be sure about, you know, what our process is and, and how we go about it. And let's do our due diligence from a, from a head coach's standpoint, athletic director's standpoint, legal counsel standpoint, you know, administration standpoint. Um, there are obviously things that are out there publicly that, you know, let's do things to protect the university. Um, you know, but let's also, you know, welcome these guys with open arms and uh, because they are good men and, and they're very good professionals. And I, I see that more and more daily as I work with them. And, and we're very fortunate and blessed to have both of those men on our, on our staff. We really are. What did the vetting process sort of look like from when you're trying to make sure that you do all that due diligence? Well, it's, it's, it's conversations. It's, it's meetings. Um, you know, it's, it's phone calls, uh, conversations, one-on-one meetings, uh, th- those type of things. I mean, uh, a lot of communication with prior employees and, uh, you know, and then, I mean, I know from my standpoint, that's mostly what it was is, you know, former ADs, former presidents, uh, former coaches, 
uh, you know, coworkers, you know, um, you know, a lot of, you know, ancillary people that aren't part of athletic department, but just have background on people, um, you know, a lot of those things, but, um, you know, something that everybody was tied together on, you know, and, and, and made sure that, Hey, you know, Houston's first and foremost, and nobody is pushing this or trying to force this. It's, it's got to be right. And we've got to feel confident that everybody is treated right and protected in this. And is there anything that you wanted to, to hear from Kendall or anyone around him that you felt like, okay, this is the right decision. This is what we want to do to, to bring Kendall into the program? Um, you know, when I, I've watched enough of them offensively. You know, when, when I met with, uh, with Kendall and, and Randy, we did not pick up a single pen. Uh, we didn't talk a single X's and O. Uh, we met for maybe four hours, four or five hours, and just talked philosophy, um, and and talked relationships, talked staff camaraderie. Um, you know, we talked about uh, you know obviously some football, but but a lot of it was just how we want to piece together the staff, how we want to uh, you know what what the values are, what the core values of this program are, what what what's established from the president's standpoint then to the athletic director and then to our football program. Um, you know, obviously things that they're very comfortable with and understand that that's basically going to be the same thing with any other college football program, that this is how we do things and this is why we do it the way we do it. And, um, but felt very, very comfortable. And, you know, I've, I've known Kendall for a long time. I've, I've been on the road with, with Randy Clements and seen him recruit. And, um, you know, and you know a lot of these guys because you know a lot of the same people, you know, in the state recruiting. So the, the reviews were you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting because you make a lot of phone calls and there's a lot of people say a lot of great things, you know, and, and then you read a newspaper article and it's completely different. And, you know, and you talk to people and you get information that, you know, isn't out there. And so you have a different opinion than what is necessarily out there. Mm-hmm. And so you find out a lot of things and, and some details and some things and, you know, and, and it's hard, you know, and, and, and the general public typically does not read every article with a fine tooth comb and and you would it would sometimes take two pages to print out every single detail of every single thing and uh, sometimes people are very creative in their style and it can mislead people so it was interesting to see some details hear some details and things that you thought you knew because you read the same article that every other person did but you realize oh these are specific oh okay all right you know and you, you learn all these details because you're actually looking at you know, documents and talking to the people that were involved. What were some of the things that you learned that, that changed your mind of something that you thought you knew that, that, that as you started digging, you found that were, that were, uh, well, it's just, different? it's, it's common knowledge things. It's just like, Oh, well this guy, you know, emailed this or this guy text this. And then, you know, you get into it and you find out well, he didn't email it. He didn't text it. He allegedly said it, you know, and it's like, well, why, why does everybody think that this person emailed this or texted it? This is not true. And, and it's alleged that they said something that's like, this is not, this is not real. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have uh, people in the general public, you know, you hired a guy that's, in, you know, that's involved in a lawsuit. Like, you know, I think that's just where sometimes we watch just a little bit too much law and order where we're dangerous. Like no, he's not, he's named in a lawsuit. He is not in a lawsuit. No one is suing him. He did nothing wrong. He's, he's named in a lawsuit. Like he, there's a difference and it's, it's hard and you don't want to be condescending, but you have to get all the information and, and then talk to people who are in the legal world and ask those questions and, as a coach and you're like, okay, there's a fine difference between, you know, Jack is suing John, you know, and Billy's name is just somewhere in it. There's a big difference. And, you know, you just learn those things. Mm-hmm. For you, what, uh, what do you feel like when you, when you, all the criticism that came about, what do you make of that then? You, you've talked about, you know, your position, obviously you guys feel comfortable and you did a lot of homework on that. So what do you make of, of all the, the, the criticism that has come from it essentially? Um, you know, I, th- I think there's, there's two separate issues, you know, to me, I think it's very, and, and, and you talk to Kendall and Clem, there's, there's two very separate issues. There's an issue that we're dealing with as a society that we've got to address and we've got to continue to get better at. And that's something that we emphasize in our program. We have life skills programs and we're going to continue to develop that you're talking about sexual assault. And sexual that, so assault. Bringing Brenda Tracy yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, sexual assault, uh, domestic violence, you know, sexual harassment, all of it. Mm-hmm. All of it, you know, and, and we're going to address that, and there's there's that issue with it, um, you know, and then, there, you know, there's a reaction, you know. Um, but, you know, trying to separate those two, 
is listen, this is real. We're going to focus on this. We're going to address this. We're going to educate young men because this is an educational deal. This is a cultural deal. This is a generational deal. We're going to educate these guys because, you know, we're sons of baby boomers ourselves and we've been raised differently. We're all figuring this thing out together now. And we're going to, we're going to do this. And then there's the other issue of the reaction of the hire, you know, and you're just going to have a gamut of emotions. And, you know, I'm not disregarding the issue. We're going to address that with our team, with our coaches and how we operate ourselves. But I, I cannot pay attention to everything that's written good or bad about me or because not all of it's founded on fact, you know, and it's a lot of emotion. And that's when you when you go to Twitter comments and you, you go to search engines and you do that, that's a lot of just raw emotion on both sides, you know, start and, and people want to wave a flag. And that's just not where you solve issues. You, you, you get nowhere with that. And that was our discussion with, with Brenda is I want you to come in because this kind of divisiveness and stuff is silly. Like this, this, this thing ain't about Kendall, Randy, you, me. It's about these 85 scholarship players and all these young men who decided to walk on and how we educate them. And that's what our focus is, not the bantering on a social media network. It's about this issue. And so that's, that's what we focused on. And it was, you know, great for Brenda to come back with our team. She's going to come back again every year because it soaks in more and more every time she comes. Um, but that's kind of the way I looked at it is just, there's an issue we're going to address because that's first and foremost. But the, the emotion around it, we, we can't get locked into that. We need to be focused on being good men, good husbands, good coaches, good role models, and, and focus on what's really, really, really important. As you guys move ahead to 2018, what are the sort of goals that, that you are, are really addressing vocally with your team? Uh, playing together. You know, this is a team that, you know, you think about Garrett Davis. He's played for Tony Levine and Spavitov. He's played for Orlando and Niver. He's played for uh, D'Onofrio and Jennings and Lamar Morgan. Steve Dunbar last year, he had Tony Jeffrey as a wideout coach. Drew Merringer as a wideout coach. Darrell Wyatt as a wideout coach. And Kenny Guyton as a wideout coach in four years. That's what he had. So there's a lot of guys who, uh, you know, we we talk about the name on the front of our chest. Uh, it's easy when when you've got a, a great schedule in front of you and 15 and a loaded team to, to brag about that. But that's what we've got to get back to is, is playing for ourselves and our team and everybody understanding, you know, we're, we're one unit. Uh, you know, and our guys are doing They're having fun. They really are right now in spring. They're having fun. They're playing hard. Uh, we need to continue to focus on that. The X's and O's stuff, that will come with time and practice and reps. How would you assess what you guys were able to do in 2017 when you look back on that season and you say, well, here's how we did How, how do you think that, that that stacked up? Um, you know, overall frustrated because, you know, there, there were some really good moments in there, closing out some games with some really good teams. You know, people didn't think that Temple was good early on. They saw that they were very good at the end. Yeah, they really turned on the second half of the season. Closing out a game on the road up there was very big. Closing out a game against a good Arizona team on the road was very good. Beating a South Florida team on the road was very good. But then you've got some games that you don't close. And you've got some inexperienced, you know, guys on, on defense. You know, you're, you're figuring out your quarterback situation. And I think now with a quarterback and, you know, some, some of those guys that were new, your know, corners were new last year. So I think with more experience now, and we've talked about it, those situations, you got three or four with Navy, Temple, Arizona, and South Florida, you close well. But Tulane, Memphis – uh, and tech, you don't, you know, you, you don't. So we've spent a lot of time on situations already in spring practice and, and developing that depth and putting them in those moments in those situations. What uh, what do you feel like it's going to take for you guys to take the step forward and, and do the kind of things in 2018 that you want to do? Um, what do you feel like is missing from this team that you want to make sure is there by the time you guys start playing games? Well, I, I talked to about just a second ago, coming together. Number one, there's so many things that as you're playing together and you're coming together as a team, there's so many things that happen as a part of that. You know, your, your, your habits and your meeting rooms, your, your off-season, uh, just the intensity, the urgency. You know, as, as guys buy in and the circle gets tighter, it, it gets better. So that's, that's the, the biggest thing for me is just from here forward in spring is just continuing to be positive and build our football team the right way. Never being a fool and lying to yourselves and telling yourselves you're good when you're not. But but being very positive and, and, and these guys working with each other. I meant to ask you about this earlier. I forgot. What is Mac the coach like versus Mac the boss? What is that like? When he's your, when you're playing for him versus when you're coaching for him, what is the difference there? Um, you know, he, he similar, 
you know, in some instances similar. You know, he, he, he was not someone that was going to tinker with everything that you did as a player or as a coach. Uh, latitude, you know, uh, and, and, and what you did. Uh, he made the important things were the important things. You know, he did not major in the minors, you know. Um, you know, he, he, I mean, I, I don't think there was much difference in him as a coach mm -hmm. and, a, and a player. How much did you consult him as you were getting ready to take over for your first head coaching job? How much, you know, how many times did you call on him, asking him, what are the questions that you had? What, what did that look like? Yeah, it's, it's been, you know, more managerial portions just with the staff. You know, how do you evaluate your staff? Uh, what are some tactics that you use in, in terms of strategies you use in terms of recruiting, um, or excuse me, in terms of interviewing? Um, you know, what you, know, you got these four guys you're going to pick between. What are some thoughts? You know, all right, I've interviewed this guy. Here, here's his. Here's the. Here's how the interview went. You know, uh, some of those things. You know, um, you know, personnel issues, things like that. You know, just talking through and just having. A perspective because he's he's coached in you know in a Cadillac at Texas and he's also been at Tulane a smaller school he's been at App State he's been at North Carolina and he's been at all those different kind of spots you know that he can kind of uh, relate to and then, and then using other coaches as well. Yeah, I was uh, talking to uh, Lincoln Riley. He said one of the biggest things that he had to figure out is time management as a coach. For you, what was the biggest challenge for you in, in the first years as a head coach? That. Yeah. Yeah, it's balancing all the different hats, basically. Yeah, just you know where to put certain time, you know, in uh, special teams, organization of the week, you know, thought of the week, you know, what's what's how are we going to attack this week, and w what's our message going to be? Um, there, there's just a number of things, you know, and and I think in your second year, I'm already starting to learn. You know, you you can take your hands off of certain things, certain things you have to continue to follow up on and micromanage, but there are certain things that you can. Uh, let people go and run with. Mm -hmm. Anything else you feel like I should know or I didn't ask about? No, good. David, anything that he needs to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Major. Right. I appreciate the time. We'll Absolutely. Be around. Yes, Have sir. a good one. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Shahan, any finishing takes <laughs> you'd like to drop on us? Um, any thoughts? You Big know, 12, the anything. Big 12 is going to be pretty good in 2018, but watch out for 2019 because I think that's the year when you're going to see two or three teams that could contend for national titles. It's possible. they got to reload a quarterback. It's just This is going to be probably the worst year of Big 12 quarterbacks that I can remember. Uh, we will see. Uh, I think we're going to see some guys show some flashes this year. You know, Charlie Brewer, we mentioned him. Uh, we'll see what Jet Duffy offers. Uh, obviously, Kyler Murray is going to have a lot of attention on him. We'll see what goes on with the guys down at Texas, Shane Bichelle, uh, Sam Ellinger. I think we'll have I think we'll have some clarity on who that guy is by the time we're, we're talking again a year from now. Uh, but we will see. It's a bold take, Sean. I like it. It's a bold take. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. Thanks for listening in. Uh, we leave you with our final parting thought, the same thought we leave every single week. Texas, Texas A&M, play the game. Do the right thing. It's the official stance of Dave Campbell's Texas football and the Republic of Football and David Oven and everyone in the state of Texas. We and Sean Gerald. And Sean Gerald. We, everyone, <laughs> everyone in the state of Texas thinks this. Some people in Atlanta think this. Play the game. Play the game. I want to thank uh, Major Applewhite for joining us. I want to thank Shehan Jayaraja for joining us from DieHards.com. I want to thank our fearless producer, Max Thompson, for hitting all the buttons and clicking all the stuff and cutting out all the parts where we uh, screw up on the show. And, of course, thank you for listening. Give us a rate. Give us a review. Check us out. Subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. We're also available on Stitcher and Google Play, so check us out there. So that will do it for this episode of Republic of Football. So we'll uh, talk to you guys again next week. We'll have some more head coaches coming on and maybe some other special guests. We'll see. So thanks again for listening. We'll see you guys again soon.